Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. This is The Edge with Jonathan Von Tobel and Matt Humans on VSN, the sports betting network. What up? Welcome in. It is The Edge here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel, no Matt Humans. He'll be back tomorrow, though, for a football Friday, just in time to break down everything in week 17, second to last week of the National Football League. Wes Reynolds alongside for a second consecutive day. Big show today. They're all big. 1.45 p.m. Pacific time. By my math, that's 4.45 p.m. Pacific time for those of you on the East Coast. Tim Murray is going to be with us as uh, he gives us his insight into the college football playoff, which will begin tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. our time. Kind of weird, huh? Kind of early in terms of the college football playoff getting kicked off at that point. But we will be on the air with uh, the first game underway. With that, we go to bowl season, though, because we do have a lot of games today, interesting games at that, and uh, one underway right now, Wes Reynolds, Purdue, looking to get into the end zone here. Uh, a pass to the left corner of the end zone is incomplete as it is caught out of bounds from a uh, weird wildcat play. Uh, but right now, it's 21-7. to 7. Tennessee, who closed, is an eight-point favorite. Got a lot of the action. Total close 67. In-game total right now. Would you have it at right now at this point? 85-and-a-half because Purdue does have a third and two at about the seven-yard line here. Like you said, 21-7. Just starting the second quarter, Purdue has over 200 yards oh. offense as Aiden O'Connell overthrows his receiver. Wide open. Got to think Jeff Brom is going for this because Purdue has not gotten a stop all day. Vols have 199 yards, 164 through the air. Purdue with 192 in their own right did commit a turnover but as i say that here comes the kicking unit uh, i don't know about this decision i don't think whoa, you're not going to twitter says up. you got to take the points take the point take the points always take the points absolutely don't take the points here because purdue has not gotten a single stop or even come close in this first quarter so not sure why jeff brahm is uh, going ahead and sending the kicking unit out there kick is good though 21 to 10 tennessee over purdue by the way this did get steamed up closed right here at yeah. the south point at eight this was like three I think on the opener and then David Bell Purdue's All-American wide receiver opting out for the NFL draft as is their leader on defense George Karloftis both those guys probably going to be first round picks come this April so Purdue very shorthand a lot of teams you know they can deal with that John where you get a couple guys opting out because you've got a lot of talent behind them Purdue is not really that team with very much depth behind it but nevertheless field goal good 21-10 balls so and you you, um, you were speaking on this earlier because one of the things that I think that stuck out to me. I get it. Tennessee tempo team. You could tell by the high score, uh, the high pregame total, of course, uh, that's factored in, obviously. 
But 82.5 now is the adjusted total, right, right? We're talking 21 to 10 at the very beginning of the second quarter. The way that this game is playing to this point, Wes, I think it just feels like you're asking Tennessee to do a lot of heavy lifting on a total like that, right? 82.5, mm-hmm. uh, given what we've seen from Purdue so far. And by the way, I think that judgment in terms of deciding to kick a field goal as opposed to going for a touchdown also plays into that uh, when it comes to Purdue. 82.5 seems somewhat high for an in-game total, given what we've seen up to this point. Well, and and look, Purdue does have almost 200 yards. They are moving yeah. the ball on this team, but they absolutely cannot get a stop. I think it's uh, 20.5 yards per pass right now for Tennessee. There are wide receivers all open That's the field here in Nashville. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if anything, I probably would be looking at under 82.5, but uh, I did not agree with that decision by Jeff Brown. Yeah, neither did I have, but, you know, especially in a bowl game. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and, and I was bringing this up today because that was in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which, by the way, South Carolina, Shane Beamer yep. took the bath of the Duke's Mayo for the charity at the end there. Even though they teased it all game, JVT, throughout the broadcast, and then they're like, tune in on the app. Yep. I was like, you've been going at this for three hours doing this bit, and then you don't show up. But nevertheless, what I'm referring to there, North Carolina was down two scores. It's fourth and long, but they elected to punt it there with like four yep. minutes to go. You saw Oregon do it last night, and I know Oregon was like pinned on their goal line and it was fourth and 12 or fourth and 13 and just these surrender punts in these type of bowl games you know go down swinging I mean what's the difference if you're going to lose by three touchdowns or two touchdowns at that point yeah 35 21 is what you're talking about fourth and 16 for UNC with a 552 left to go Mm -hmm. you go for it there yeah like there's no question that you go for it there and like you said that that's a surrender punt that's a we quit we give up, yeah. and you didn't get the ball back for another five minutes. South Carolina did a great job. And out. I'll credit Mike Golick Jr., who was on the broadcast for the game. He's like, you're not getting this ball back. Why are you doing it? And then the guy the night before, I forget who was on the call for the Alamo Bowl, was like, yeah, you got to punt the football here of in this course. situation. I'm like, there's three and a half minutes to go. You're down two scores. It's... You absolutely go for it. If they punch it in, okay. You know, you go down swinging. This is the last game of the year. It's incredible. I, I can't remember what game it was in the NFL, but I was watching Red Zone, and Scott Hansen was like a one possession game with less than two minutes left to go and he literally goes i wonder if we're gonna see the offense come out here on a flight it's like a fourth and one i would hope the hell that you would what are you talking about oh man it's incredible so 21 to 10 1401 left to go since we're uh, since we're here might as well discuss the two games we're going to see later today uh first off let's discuss this late game really quickly because it's in our own backyard arizona state taking on wisconsin that's a 7 30 p.m pacific time kick here in vegas at Allegiant stadium so what do you make of this news that uh, josh applebaum was saying on the previous program uh we know about the opt-outs that are happening but arizona state is reportedly experiencing opt-outs as it's like today Apparently, uh, apparently so, because I, I did not know about this. Uh, the line has been about seven, seven and a half throughout total of 42, a, a very low total. But I think for really good reason, when you look at Wisconsin, because we know what the Badgers are going to do really good defense, top five defense in America, and they're going to run the heck out of the ball and not have Graham Mertz turn it over. I think ever since Wisconsin and Paul Chris kind of went back to old school Barry Alvarez, Wisconsin Badger football, and they had been running the ball and not having our quarterback try to throw it all over the place and get it and turn it over, they've done well. And, and look, they lost that last game against Minnesota that kept them out of the Big Ten championship game to be the West representative. But you look at Arizona State in terms of the opt-outs that we had already heard about. Rashad White, who is their do-it-all running back, a little over 1,000 yards, 15 touchdowns. He's already opted out. Uh, the backup running back, DeMonte Trainum, 
He has already entered the transfer portal. Uh, receiver Johnny Wilson missed half the season, but he's begun practicing. However, he entered the transfer portal and now going to play. Their center is also out. So Jaden Daniels with not a lot of support necessarily on that offense. And then uh, apparently, uh, as Josh was saying, we are getting opt-outs here. So that's why you're seeing Wisconsin get the money. I actually like the under here. By the way, Paul yeah. Chris has been very good in bowl games. You talk about the coaches who have been poor. Mike Leach a couple days ago. Dana Holgerson, who've been poor in bowl games. Paul Chris, five and one. And this is a Wisconsin team that's kind of built on discipline and toughness. And sometimes that's not of readily supplied, really, in bowl games, but it certainly is with Wisconsin. ASU is kind of a team that can beat themselves to 128th in the nation in penalties, 82.75 penalty yards, third worst in the nation. So against a disciplined team like Wisconsin, that's not a recipe for success. Yep. So again, seven and a half with a pregame total of. Uh, 42 here at the South Point. We'll see if this, uh, we have plenty of time until kickoff and plenty of time for this thing to get adjusted as we go. And the last one, and this one's going to kick off a little less than three hours from now. Pitt taking on Michigan State, the uh, Peach Bowl here. Uh, we get right now Michigan State three and a half over Pitt at this point right now, Wes. Did you do anything with this one? Uh, between these two. Yeah, I'm another under here yeah. for me. And look, it's already been discounted, the fact that Kenny Pickett opting out. More than likely, if you believe the draft Knicks, at least early on, believe he's going to be the first quarterback yeah. picked in the first round. Uh, not necessarily yeah. as high as we've seen quarterbacks in recent drafts, but certainly looks like he'll be the number the future one. future of the Steelers, potentially. Could be. Could very well be. But by the way, they're not only missing Kenny Pickett, they're also missing Mark Whipple, yep. the offensive coordinator who abruptly left for Nebraska, was like, okay, I'm going to retire and then the next day takes the Nebraska offensive coordinator job with Scott Frost Nick Patty junior quarterback is going to get the start for uh, in place of Kenny Pickett Mel Tucker coming off that 10-year extension after you know they didn't finish the season on the best of notes they had that snow game against Penn State but before that they got blown out 56 to 7 we know that this Sparty defense not very good in passing they ranked I think at the bottom most of the season for total passing yards Kenneth Walker the third star running back is already opted out of the game. I want to see how effective they are going to be without him. I mean, the loss can't be overstated. 6.2 yards a carry, handled the ball for the rushing attempts about 60% of the time for Michigan State. So Peyton Thorne, you're going to have to put the ball in his hands, and I don't know if that's really a great recipe because Ohio State and Penn State, the last two games of the season were two of his worst in terms of like the PFF passing grades were mm -hmm. below 60, you know, had a lot of turnover-worthy plays, zero big-time throws. So... I actually think defense is in order here. I think you're going to see an under 56, even though Michigan State does give up a lot in the passing yards, but this is obviously a drop-off from Kenny Pickett to Nick Patty, even though Jordan Addison, the receiver, is apparently going to play. Yep. Uh, so it looks like an incomplete pass on third and 22. You always got to hold your breath, see if there's any flags. So ultimately mm -hmm. not. So mm -hmm. Tennessee is going to punt this ball away, and Purdue's going to get this back with about 12.49 left to go in the second quarter. Again, speaking to uh, potentially that over being a little high or the total being a little high, you get an empty possession from Tennessee. So we'll see if Purdue can capitalize. Like you said, statistically, Boilermakers are doing what they're supposed to do. Just got to be able to cash in and not miss wide open receivers, by the way. And we know with Purdue, they're going to run the ball because yep. they are not, or they're going to throw the ball because they are not very good at running the ball. They really hadn't been good at running the ball for about 15 years up there in West Lafayette. And you can see that they're already struggling 11 carries for just 38 yards this afternoon. Oh, yeah, baby. All right. How do you feel about these early kicks, by the way, for bowl season? 8 a.m., another 8 a.m. kickoff tomorrow. Yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather it be a, a little bit later because, you know, I'd 
ironically enough, when I do when I was doing the Saturday morning show, betting across America, and we were going six hours, I was like, man, this 9 a.m. on Saturday is so damn early. And then we started 10 o'clock just an hour later for the green zone for the NFL. And I was like, this is just the right time. Yeah. Yep. So we got a bunch of bowl games tomorrow. But, of course, uh, the focus will be Cincinnati, Alabama, and then Georgia and Michigan. Tim Murray's going to be with us later in the program to discuss that, get his thoughts on those contests. And, of course, Wes's too, as the college football playoff will kick off tomorrow. Hey, a reminder, too, by the way, if you like Tim's show, if you like our show, if you like any of the other shows here on the network, which we know you do, check out our podcast. You go to vcin.com slash podcast. Any part of your favorite shows that you missed out on, you can find there, as well as the many other podcasts that we offer, like Beating the Book with Gil Alexander, Coast to Coast Hoops, Arvin Handicappers, and much more. Check it all out. vcin.com slash podcast. Oh, by the way, I can't forget, Long Shots on their network about well. to come back we're going to be in kapalua starting next week for the pga tour season it's almost like i knew and i set you up for it huh that's what a, that's what a good <laughs> that's what does. a pro does yeah, jbt yeah. Uh, all right we'll come back we have plenty left to get to here on the edge CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. This is The Edge on VSIN, the sports betting network. Always be ready to play and sign up for a play card debit MasterCard. You get paid faster than a paper check with direct deposit. Always be ready to roll with play card. Visit playcard.com today to apply. Subject to card activation and ID verification team, uh, terms and cost supply. Card issued by Metabank and a member FDIC. It is the Edge here at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel. Wes Reynolds is alongside. And just because Matt Humans is not here doesn't mean we will not foray into the world of analytics. Let's do it. Do you think analytics are overrated? I don't give a damn what the analytics say. Sick of hearing about numbers? And analytics don't, don't work, work at all. Work. Too bad. Jonathan Von Tobel does the numbers on the edge. Get those nerds! Nerds! You like that, huh? I love it. Quality production right there. Quality production value. All right, so focus of today's contest, uh, or today's Do the Numbers, is going to be the contest between... Kansas City and Cincinnati. So we've seen some jockeying for this number here. Uh, some spots got back to as low as four and a half, West. Mm-hmm. Uh, five is now the dominant number across the board, though. Still a five and a half out there, still four and a half out there. So this is, again, one of these situations where if you want to bet this game, whatever side you like, you'll be able to get the more favorable number, whatever it is. So you should be able to get the number that benefits the side that you like the most. So wanted to focus on 
Joe Burrow for a second because Burrow's been incredible over the last three games. He right now is actually PFF's highest graded passer for the season. Uh, but over these last three contests, he's been absolutely incredible. But there's a couple of things about Joe Burrow uh, as a quarterback that have stuck out this season. And I wanted to start here because Joe Burrow under pressure this year, West has actually not been very good. Uh, under pressure period on 33.1% of his dropbacks this year. He's completing when he's under pressure, 60.2% of his passes. 8.2 yards per attempt is pretty solid, but eight touchdowns to nine turnover-worthy plays. You can see right there just some below-average numbers, especially when it comes to completion percentage and the touchdowns to turnover-worthy plays, right? But here's the thing. There is a difference between being under pressure and just getting blitzed, right? Because those necessarily don't equate. When you blitz somebody, you hope to put them under pressure. But a lot of times that's not the case. And Joe Burrow has been great whenever he has been blitzed this season. It's actually been Patrick Mahomes-esque what he's been able to do. So some of these numbers here, right? Dropbacks, 23.4% of his dropbacks, Joe Burrow has been blitzed on this season. Look at this completion percentage. 70.3% of his uh, passes have been completed when he has been blitzed. 10.8 yards per attempt. 11 touchdowns to just two turnover-worthy plays for Joe Burrow this season when he's getting blitzed. So if you blitz him, i.e., I think we saw this right in two matchups with Baltimore. He dominated Baltimore. Why? Mm -hmm. Baltimore's one of the most blitz-happy teams in the National Football League. They have been for some time, and he has been great in the two matchups against the Baltimore Ravens, which brings us to this matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs. If you look at Kansas City and the way they have played defense up to this point, Wes, they are a top 10 team in terms of pressure rate, and they are a top 10 team in terms of blitz rate. So if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, will we see an alteration of your game plan here defensively against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals? Because your defense has been much better over the last eight weeks, much better. Right. I, I, I brought up the stat in one of my articles. If you look at it right, the first seven weeks, and this is just by one metric, but it's PFF grading, right? First seven weeks, average grade of about 50. The last eight weeks for this team, we're talking about an average grade of uh, like mid 70s, like 73, 72. Uh, by the way, the Boilermakers are kicking into the field goal. Um, so when you're looking at this from the standpoint of Kansas City, I think that's the main matchup that I want to see. Is Kansas City going to be able to pressure Joe Burrow without blitzing guys? Because if you can, that's the recipe for success. Yeah, and that's what you're wondering if Steve Spagnuolo is going, what he is going to do. By the way, the Kansas City defensive line has been absolutely excellent over the last several weeks. I know they did miss Jones. He was out due to COVID for the Chargers game a couple weeks ago. But ever since, you know how they started the season, John, and they were giving up points and they were giving up big chunk plays down the field. Then they got Melvin Ingram from Pittsburgh and they were able to move Jones back to the inside where he has been much better. If you look at what Kansas City has been doing, they are number one in what is called EPA, expected points added, mm -hmm. over the last six weeks. So they're only giving up like 14 and a half points over the last 10 games. So I wonder how much blitzing we are going to see from Spags here. If we're not, or if we're going to see, hey, we can get pressure with our front four against this offensive line that, you know, is not a disaster for Cincinnati. I think it's been a little bit better than it obviously was last year. But we know that they had had some guys out for a few games this season, uh, Riley Reef, I believe, missed a couple games. They had a couple other, and Riley Reef, by the way, is on IR right now, but they've had a couple other linemen miss games. It looks like all systems go in terms of health from that standpoint. So this is a game I've been going back and forth on. I know you kind of like the Bengals here as a, as a home underdog. I've been going back and forth. One thing that everybody likes, though, is the over because this yeah. is now up to 51. There are some 50 and a halves in the market, so shop around. Yeah, I, I think really it's just, for me, it's we talk about this all the time, right? Where 
you know, the market's swings, the ebbs and flows of a market. And, and this is, if you look at what Kansas City has done up to this point during this winning streak that they're on, they have been taking care of business uh, in a really solid way. But it, it's a pretty big change for me, Wes, when you're looking at Kansas City, the numbers they've been laying and the situations that they've been in, right? We're talking about a two-and-a-half-point favorite over Dallas, right? Eight-and-a-half over a team like Denver. They covered 10 against both Pittsburgh and Las Vegas, uh, but those are some lower-tier teams, as we know, that have really big issues. And Pittsburgh, they matched up really well with Pittsburgh. It's something that well, humans and I talked about leading up to the week, which was, you know, Pittsburgh defensively. You talk about EPA per play, uh, mid to low 20s in both pass and rush defense in terms mm-hmm. of EPA and overall. So it seemed like they were kind of fool's gold from that perspective. Now you're talking about laying four and a half in Cincinnati against what looks to be a playoff team, right? The respect is back for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if it's maybe a little too much from a power rating perspective. And another thing that is back for Kansas City is kind of that turnover luck because that's yeah. been kind of a theme throughout the season with Kansas City. If you remember last year, Patrick Mahomes, like Patrick Mahomes is regressing. He's like the same guy he was last year. It's just those balls weren't getting picked off. They were getting dropped by the defenders. I mean, you know, he's risking it for the biscuit and throwing it all over the yard. You look at the first seven games when the Chiefs were three and four this year. They were they had only, I believe, four seven turnovers, but turned it over themselves 17 times for a minus 10 turnover margin. Look at the last eight games, 21 takeaways, eight giveaways. So now plus 13 in turnover margin. So you want to credit the defense as we've done with the EPA and all the different stats that we've given out, but They've been getting kind of fortunate with the turnovers here. And you never know really when that is going to go the opposite way. So when I was looking at this, I kind of thought that that number was a little bit rich, but I haven't really done anything with this as of yet. Yeah, your favorite handicapper, by the way, on uh, 42 and a half points and rebounds. Assists over. <laughs> uh, so let's go with something here. And I, I think you bring up a great point. And I, it's, it's um, I think a lot of people who are anti-numbers kind of like, like snub their nose at things like this. Mm-hmm. But to your point, um, Patrick Mahomes, his turnover-worthy play rate this year is actually lower than it was last year when he only threw six interceptions. His turnover-worthy uh, play rate of 2.6% would actually be the lowest since 2019 and the second lowest of his career. So, And it's a short career, but you're talking about him just being right in line with what yeah, he's been all and, season long. And that's long, why you got to dig deeper into yep. these numbers that people scoff at because if you watch, it was like the narrative was, man, this guy has really regressed. This guy's turning it over all over the place. And you do get, you know, random luck in that, but that that uh, nugget that you just pointed out says basically same thing as last year. Yep. All right, so with that, uh, there is some news to get to in the world of the National Football League. Not big stuff. It's going to be line-changing stuff, uh, but it is worth noting a couple of things. One, so we had the footage yesterday of Lamar Jackson coming back in terms of practice, right? A little gimpy and couldn't really put weight on the foot, it seemed. was uh, uh, was limping really hard in that footage that we saw. Well, he didn't practice today. And so you wonder if maybe something happened when he was trying to get out there, work the thing out. Maybe if it's just a scheduled day at rest and we'll see him again uh, in a limited fashion on Friday. Uh, But this is a somewhat troublesome thing, right? When we see him finally, Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't look good. Now he doesn't practice again today. And this number is now up to five in one spot. I believe it's circa on my screen right now with a total of 46. Yeah, it's pretty much four and a half, the market consensus. I personally took four, so I'm not getting the better of it here. But that's essentially why you have seen the movement here. But uh, it looks like Tyler Huntley I believe he is cleared uh, uh, for this game I got to double check that but look the Rams also got some uh, a decent news I believe they at least had Andrew Whitworth yep. activated so that probably helps a little bit 
because we know that we mentioned right here yesterday, Whitworth, Joseph Noteboom, Rob Havenstein, all dealing with COVID-19, but it looks like at least Whitworth has been activated. Uh, we'll see if the Ravens get a little bit of better news. It looks like in terms of the COVID protocols, they've had a lot of guys probable, not only quarterback Tyler Huntley, Pernell McPhee at linebacker, Jimmy Smith at DB. They need any DBs they can get based on what we saw last week. Chris Westry, Justin Houston. So they are getting predominantly on the defense. So at least it's going to help from a depth perspective for these guys to come back out of the protocol. Yeah. So, and you're, and you're right, by the way, Tyler Huntley was activated today. It was came down about four hours ago. So uh, if he can't go and you brought this up against green Bay, at the very least, uh, he looked pretty, um, mm-hmm. he looked pretty competent. Tyler Huntley. Cause did. you don't think that the game plan is necessarily, they're not exactly going to change offensive philosophies right. here from Tyler Huntley, from Lamar Jackson. So yeah, I thought he looked very good against green Bay and Josh Johnson was okay. I think it was just, they got in jail and, and Cincinnati got out to a big lead and we give up 500 yards. Ravens, I mean, Ravens were pulling guys out of the stands to play secondary for them last week. Yeah, <laughs> it did not look very good. And uh, still, this team at times has been competitive. So we'll see if this is going to be uh, something to look forward to. All right, we'll come back. We have plenty left to get to. We can talk a little hoops, uh, especially the NBA. How about uh, last night, too, by the way, the Los Angeles Lakers going down yet again in flames to John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Not looking good for the Lake Show, and we'll keep you abreast of what is going down in the Music City Bowl. Purdue had a field goal attempt. It was good. So they're down 21-13 to 13 right now with a third and two coming up for the volunteers at about the Purdue 42-yard line. Come back and keep you abreast of that and much more here on The Edge. This is The Edge on VSN, the sports betting network. This segment brought to you by Zen Nicotine Pouches. Fresh way to enjoy nicotine without all the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. No more smelling like an ashtray. No more spit cups. No batteries to charge or leaky equipment to deal with. Zen Nicotine Pouches are smoke-free, spit-free, and available in 10 varieties like spearmint, wintergreen, citrus, and many more. And for your convenience, each variety comes in two strengths, so you can easily find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch, available in over 100,000 locations nationwide, meaning it's never been easier to find your Zen. So head on over to zen.com slash find. Look at a store near you. That is zyn.com slash find. Warning, product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Wes, I I am good at my job, but I have not memorized this yet, so I did not get to watch. The result of the fourth and nine play for Tennessee was... They did not get it. Okay. So take the points. Take the points. We got to be results-oriented. You could have been up 24 to 13. Yeah. Yeah, so we got to be exclusively results-oriented. They also right? could have been up 28 to, to 13 had that yes. play been successful, right? Because there's there's other outcomes that could have happened. And by the way, to your point, John, you did mention, hey, this total might be getting a little bit high, and now the scoring's going to yep. slow down a little bit, not keeping that rate up. There's a total up to 77 and a half right now. I believe the balls are about 13, 13 and a half, depending on your store in terms of the in-play, but 540 left to go, Boilers hanging around. And if uh, if Braun's going to continue to elect the kick field goals the whole time. Yeah, don't you, yeah, you've already done it. Now you can't do it anymore. To, oh, I got to make it 21 to 16, so uh, I'm going to make a one-score game never, a one-score game. Never say never. <laughs> never say never. I you know. You you can never doubt these guys. Uh, all right, we're going best bets here, Santos? Let's do it. Uh, recap from last night. I got to tell you, man, super disappointed in your Indiana Pacers. So you Pacers, and me both. Oh, they, so they lose, end up losing by eight to the Charlotte Hornets. The disappointing thing was it's not even just the – it's it's not even a loss. 
it's the way that this goes down, which is multiple times in the third quarter, you could tell Charlotte, who got off to an insane start, start shooting-wise, right, where I think they were shooting like 64% in the first half, mm-hmm. or in the first quarter, so put it that way. In the third quarter, it was stuck on like 85-75 for what seemed like an eternity. Indiana was doing the right things defensively, but they could not get a bucket to save their lives. And we're talking about like early shot, contested three-point shots in the shot clock. DeMontis Sabonis not being able to put a putback back to save his life. At the end of the third quarter, they get him a wide-open look from three, which I, I have had this conversation with Adam Hill, the Las Vegas Review-Journal, a friend of ours. Uh, miss me with the, the DeMontis Sabonis jumpers. If I never see one again, I'll right. be a happy man. They're pretty ugly. Right. But the rant's over. Pacers, two-and-a-half-point favorite against the Hornets. Uh, they end up losing. But a good performance from the Clippers defensively against the Boston Celtics, kind of like we talked about yesterday. So Clippers get the cash as they win that game outright as a six-point underdog. For today, 76ers catching five, and it's actually up to five-and-a-half in most spots, that was from, what, about 30 minutes ago. Double-check to see. Yeah, so five and a half still. Uh, that half-point adjustment, Doc Rivers will not be coaching today. He gets entered into COVID protocol. Uh, the hook gets added with that news. So I don't think Doc Rivers is worth anything to a point spread. market says so, but five and a half doesn't really matter. So you can just go get five in the hook. But overall, Wes, one of the things that I've kind of been looking at here with the 76ers, you know, there's been a 15-game stretch since Joel Embiid has come back from that COVID absence, right? He was gone for nine games. Um, over those 15 games, they're 8-7 and seven straight up, 5-10 and 10 against the spread because their offense has not been good. 107.8 points per 100 possessions for, in terms of offensive efficiency for Philly. Sixth worst offensive rating in the league over that stretch. But they are a top-10 defensive team, and they have been playing some really solid basketball at that end of the floor. And it has led to this interesting little trend where of those 15 games, there have been five in which they have been underdogs. They've covered four of them. So it's if, in other words, mm-hmm. when you're a poor offensive team but a good defensive team, it's easier to stay within numbers when you're catching them as opposed to laying numbers, right? Yeah, and, and, and to your point, we were talking about this over the break, and uh, look, you're getting a little bit of an extra uh, tax into the number, too, because, of course, Kevin Durant is yep. coming back, so it's like Kevin Durant and James Harden, uh-oh, they're going to stop a mud hole and run all over these guys, but reading uh, the column at vcin.com, offered by one Jonathan Von Tobel, which I do every day and you should, JVT really does a lot of the work for you if you're just kind of a casual NBA better and maybe it's a time, a time equity issue for you, read JVT's column. You'll pick up great nuggets every single day. And one that I picked up here, when Kevin Durant is back on the floor with James Harden, the Brooklyn Nets only a plus three net rating. Offense averages 111 per 100 possessions. So, look, that's not bad. Right. But it's not, I think, maybe what people would foresee it to be because they're like, okay, these guys are in trouble now with Durant and Harden back on the floor. But, you know, when, when they're not on the floor all the time, you get a little bit out of rhythm. So it takes a little bit of time when you have these, you know, guys being out for COVID or guys being out for injuries. So you are getting an extra tax in the number, I think, with these guys back together. Yeah. So, uh, and ultimately, you know, that's why this total is up to 222 and a half. But uh, I will say this, if you're on the side of Philly, like I'm going to be, I mean, that, it's a high total because if Philly's going to cover, I don't think it's going to be going over a number like that. But these are the, to use your term, these are the taxes you're going to pay when Kevin Durant comes back, you know, COVID protocol guys are starting to return. And this is the perception of the Brooklyn Nets. So. Anything on the total for you? This has now gone up to 222 and a half as high in yeah, the market. For me, it's it's under a pass. And actually, Caesar just flashed 221 and a half on my screen right now. There's other spots at 222. So 220 and a half, uh, 222 and a half is pretty high. Given the way that I handicap this and given the way that I think Philly's going to be able to guard successfully, uh, I don't know if you're going to be going over that. Now, if you're laying five and a half and if you think that the Nets are going to be, you know, everything we expect from the Brooklyn Nets, then obviously I think that's why this total is as high as it is. But uh, I would pump the brakes on expecting this to be a higher scoring game personally, especially when you're talking about an opener 217. 
Um, and then three other games on the actually no, sorry, breaking news, two other games on the board because this Golden State Denver game has been postponed. So if you're watching this uh, and wondering why it's coming off of the board, looks like the Nuggets don't have enough guys available. Yeah, I just saw it kind of disappear from my Don Best screens. So only two other games, Cleveland at Washington, Milwaukee at Orlando tonight. Yep. Uh, so with that, really quickly, before we get to the other two games on the NBA card, uh, just to rehash, Bengals plus five, Texans plus 13. That is the NFL card for me. And we'll see if you can add a couple of winners to the record there. Uh, and that's all I got. Do you have anything uh, for tonight? A couple college basketball yeah. games. Uh, one that I there played. There it is. Uh, all right. He's got a graphic. Let's do it. We've got UCF plus three and a half against Michigan. And look, Michigan's had 12 days off. But if you've watched Juwan Howard's bunch, they have been bad in ball screen and dribble drive yeah. defense all season. UCF has Darius Perry, who can absolutely do both. So, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe people are considering this a buy low on Michigan, but I think that this is something UCF is going to get up for. They are coached by Johnny Dawkins. By the way, his, his son, Aubrey Dawkins, no longer on the team, but was originally at Michigan and then transferred down to UCF to play for his dad. So maybe Johnny wants to get at his son's old school a little bit. I thought three and a half was a little bit rich. It's down to three in certain spots. We have seen the over get some support up to 138.5. Another college basketball game I did play, that was just on COVID news. I played Troy plus nine. You're now seeing seven, six and a half in the market. Texas State has some COVID issues. We kind of saw that materialize last night. A lot of people like the Alabama Crimson Tide who weren't really covering the whole game against yep. Tennessee and then Alabama got the money, ended up covering the number. Tennessee hung in as long as they could. They had John Fulkerson and Kennedy Chandler out last night. So Alabama uh, eventually got the cover for you. And then for uh, some of the uh, bowl games here, under 56 in Pittsburgh, Michigan State, for reasons we discussed earlier, mm -hmm. under in the Las Vegas Bowl. I know that that's a low total at 42, but I, I don't know. What, I, I don't think Jaden Daniels is going to have a lot of support. I mentioned with the running backs issues, and then they also have a receiver out. So under 42. And then one for tomorrow because I'm not going to be on the air. Cotton Bowl, I bought it up to 14. I'm taking Cincinnati okay. here. I think that this defense is absolutely for real. Alabama's obviously priced to the moon because, you know, you people are kind of down on them, and then they remind you in the SEC title game that we're still Alabama, and they beat an undefeated Georgia team. So you're getting a tied team absolutely priced to the moon. I don't think that this defense has been as good as maybe people thought that they were going to be. I don't think Cincinnati also is going to be overwhelmed by the moment. Remember, they actually had a double-digit lead in the Sugar Bowl on Georgia last Last year, Georgia did make the comeback. It was 24-21, the final score. But Cincinnati was basically leading and covering the whole game, and they ended up covering. So I'm going to take the Bearcats and the two touchdowns. All right. I can't wait. I, I think, yeah, of the two, that is the most excited uh, the one I am most excited for, mainly because uh, Michigan and Georgia does not look aesthetically Well, and the thing about Michigan and Georgia, I'm debating to see what I want to do on that game, and I have no idea because I really don't want to go against either team, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Uh, all right, hey, uh, by the way, we have some massive news coming out of the NBA right now. We, get, we need an alert for this. I wish we had one. Uh, according to Sham Sharanya, brace yourselves, the Miami Heat signing guard Mario Chalmers to a 10-day contract. The return. Does that does that require a? <laughs> does I think to a certain extent, Mario Chalmers, Heat legend. All right. Um, by the way, so focusing on the really quickly this Music City Bowl, um, as we discussed, right, the tempo of Tennessee, it, it helps you offensively. Sometimes also, uh, it also helps your opponent when you're not getting anything offensively. So right. a very quick possession for Tennessee gives the ball back to Purdue uh, with about three and a half minutes left to go, and Purdue is making something out of it. They got a first and ten yeah. right now. And by the way, if you did bet the over in the first half, I think it closed thirty-four and a half. You now all of a sudden you got a little bit of sweat. You thought yep. you had no perspiration. 
prediction at the rate this was going that they were going to have 50 or 60 points by the half. So Purdue now in Tennessee territory at about the 40 yard line, a little over two minutes left to go. The uh, in-game spread now down to about nine and a half or 10 as Purdue looks like they have completed a long <laughs> one down to the two yard line. So Boilermakers all of a sudden in the business boiler up about to uh, get right back in the game against Rocky Top. A complete prayer ball. Just like, hey, dude, my guy's got one on one. Let me just underthrow this and see what happens. And uh, ultimately it leads to a completion. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, let's talk to Tim Murray uh, of, of course, the nightcap. We'll get Tim's thoughts on the college football playoff that begins tomorrow and the bowl games, too, because there's quite a few bowl games that are going to kick off and what's going to happen later today in Las Vegas. But really curious, Tim, thoughts uh, about Cincinnati and that spot against Alabama. If he agrees with you or if he thinks that maybe the Crimson Tide, maybe a popular side, which we know is going to be a first half play for Alabama. Let's pick Tim's brain when we return here on the Edge. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. This is The Edge on VSIN, the sports betting network. Hey, make sure you check out our big game special. You can save 50% off the all-access subscription for the rest of the football season with that big game special. Get access to our in-depth matchup analysis, trends, picks for every game, sport on the schedule, including our exclusive betting splits, showing you where the money's going on every single game. All that much, 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 much more for only $39 at vcin.com slash subscribe. All right, Wes Reynolds is here. Tim Murray of Nightcap Fame and Fortune, uh, one of the uh, three athletes on that show. Oh, wait, no, there's two. Uh, sorry, I was excluded. I saw, hey, Tim, you'll excuse my mistake. I saw Aaron Oster shirtless the other day at the Circa Pool, and I was like, hey, there's three athletes with this. What, what are we talking about? Hey, man, he's just happy. You know, his Terps won by 44 yesterday, so he could not be more thrilled. He's a, I don't know, maybe he did something athletic there at, uh, at College Park in his days. Hey, so what's, what's more thrilling, uh, Aaron and his Terps and how happy he is, or the fact that Jeff Brom is elected to kick another field goal here to make this 21-16 to 16 against Tennessee the first half? Well, if in the uh, college football bowl betting guide, which you could still get now at vcin.com slash subscribe, uh, I laid the four, and that was one of my favorite plays of the bowl season. And, and as we know, it's steamed up to eight, and Mr. Reynolds, uh, we're trying to have a happy middle here. So I'm good uh, with Tennessee by six or seven. That, that'd be beautiful. I mean, I am all about making everyone happy in this holiday season. So if we all can be happy and dandy and Tennessee can win 28 to 22 with two more field goals from Jeff Brom, I would be thrilled. 
Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> Brom has the five and a half first half at BetMGM in his yeah. pocket, apparently. Just say a fourth and two from the Tennessee seven. That's a field goal attempt. Uh, the fourth and ten from the Tennessee 18, another field goal attempt. Then just now, fourth and goal from the Tennessee 12. Uh, all three field goal attempts for Purdue, 21 to 16. You win by taking the points. It's what Twitter tells me. So uh, there is no irony, by the way, in the fact that the Chargers did not go for it on fourth down once against the Texans and lost that game. And but, by the know. way, Tennessee does get the ball back in the second half, and yeah. they still have 44 seconds. So... This could be a two-score game in a big-time hurry for Purdue. Well, what could be a two-score game as well, because the number sitting on 14 is the first game that we're going to get tomorrow in the college football playoffs. So let's go there with Tim Murray. Cincinnati and Alabama, Tim. So it's all led up to this. We're finally here Mm -hmm. on Friday. So what do you expect from Cincinnati? They finally get their foot on the stage, and they're going to take it early. And uh, there are two touchdown underdogs, essentially 13.5 with a total of 57.5. Yeah, and obviously this line really hasn't budged. I I think people are waiting out there for it to hit 14, um, and I think there's a reason why it hasn't moved. Uh, I'll be honest, guys. I don't really have uh, much motivation to play a side as of right now, but I I did play the total, and I went under uh, 57.5 in this game. And I I think back to the last couple times Alabama has been in these situations. Now, what was it, three years ago when they played Oklahoma, Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy. They had to kind of keep scoring, but, you know, When I look at this matchup, you know, remember, John Mechie lost for the season, uh, tearing his ACL in the SEC championship. He's more of the possession guy. Well, Jamison Williams is the home run threat for Alabama. I I think Alabama is going to try to do what they did last year against Notre Dame, which was get out by 10 to 14 points and kind of sit on the game. And I know that this year they don't have Najee Harris in the backfield. They don't have the same offensive line, but I think, uh, Overall, when you look at the offensive line for Alabama, there will be an advantage against a defensive line that I believe has no one uh, over the uh, over 300 pounds. They are not the, the largest defensive line. But Cincinnati, look, they've got pro talent, and, and there's no denying that. And that's why I think this could be a lower-scoring game because Alabama, uh, with really one go-to receiver in Jamison Williams, I'm sure they've got other guys waiting in the wings, and they'll come up. But you look at... You know, Sauce, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sauce Gardner, one of the best cover corners in the country, probably going to be a first-round pick. You have Cody, uh, Kobe Bryant uh, also on the other side of Sauce Gardner. And then Brian Cook, their safety, is one of the you know best-rated safeties uh, in all of college football. So I think Alabama is going to struggle at times to kind of get things rolling here. So I do think this is ultimately a low-scoring game. I think Alabama is going to try to establish themselves on the ground with Brian Robinson Jr. and try to enforce their will that way. And then on the other side, guys, I just don't trust Cincinnati offensively. Even though Desmond Ritter is a first-round pick, I think the biggest mismatch in this game is the defensive line and the front seven of Alabama against the offensive line of Cincinnati. Will Anderson is an absolute freak of nature, and I think he's going to wreak havoc uh, tomorrow afternoon for Cincinnati. And I think they're going to have really struggle to consistently move the ball uh, in this game. So uh, I like under 57 and a half uh, with uh, with Cincinnati and Alabama. Tim, speaking of very good defensive lines, we got a pair of them in the nightcap tomorrow night. No pun intended. Uh, in the Orange Bowl, <laughs> that being Georgia against Michigan. We've heard about the Uggas defensive line all year. Michigan, by the way, has two first-round pass rushers on their defensive yeah. line. So I haven't decided what I'm going to do at this game because these are like two teams matched up that I really don't want to fade. So that means I don't want to back the other side. Seven and a half is pretty much where it's been. Very low total now at four. What do you make of Georgia and Michigan in the Orange Bowl tomorrow night? 
You know, Wes, I haven't played this game yet, but I'm leaning towards Georgia. Uh, I think Michigan is that trendy dog right now. You see some mm-hmm. of those betting splits, you know, popping out, uh, whether it be BetMGM or DraftKings, and people are firing away on Michigan. Money line on the spread, and I find it very interesting, guys, that it remains at seven and a half painted. There's no sevens out there. I think those are going to get gobbled up. We'll see what happens, you know, come tomorrow evening if this ultimately gets down to seven or if it starts to go the other way. I feel like it's a little bit of a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately situation, which is Georgia got their doors blown off by Alabama, and then Michigan has played their two best games of the season in back-to-back games. Great against Ohio State. Followed that up with a, a thumping of Iowa. But you mentioned it. You know, you've got the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line in Michigan going up against a defensive line with Jordan Davis, Nakobe Dean there in that linebacker core. He'll be at, what, top 15 pick. Uh, off the edge, Trayvon Walker, uh, Channing Tindwell, uh, Tindall, excuse me, for, uh, for Georgia. I mean, all these guys, if you look at mock drafts or, or draft boards, these are all like top 50, 60 prospects, just all over that Georgia defense. So uh, I'd be really curious to see what Michigan's able to do. Josh Gaddis is going to have to be creative. He was creative. I give him that against Wisconsin because they weren't really able to run the ball all that well. But if it's strength on strength and Michigan's going to try to roll up their sleeves and run with Corum and Haskins, I, I just don't see them having a ton of success. I mean, Georgia's allowed a total of three rushing touchdowns all season long, and that's what Michigan wants to do. So that's going to be a phenomenal to watch. And then on the other side of the ball, you mentioned Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Ajabu is unbelievable there for the Wolverines. But, you know, Brock Purdy is a superstar emerging at tight end. Remember, guys, George Pickens came back against Alabama. He's now had four weeks to prepare to get more healthy. He is going to be an X factor tomorrow. Watch out for George Pickens there for uh, for for Georgia making some big plays. All right, really quickly an update uh, while, t- while we're uh, chatting with Tim Murray. So uh, a fumble by Tennessee has set up to Purdue inside Tennessee territory and a strike downfield has Purdue now at the what, two yard line would you say West with yes. 23 seconds left to go. A first and goal which is setting up beautifully for another two timeouts by the way for <laughs> Purdue as well. So uh BTFU is what they say in West Lafayette. They may have the lead down here in the Music City Bowl. Yeah. If there's a football god, they'll kick another field goal. Let's just put it that way. Twenty-one sixteen again, first and goal. All right, uh, Tim Murray with us. Sorry, Tim. So uh, with the college football playoff, in terms of analysis, uh, all in the rearview mirror for with uh, with us. Did you have anything tonight? Either Pitt, Michigan State, or Wisconsin, Arizona State. Um, yeah, I, I, it's starting to steam up on Wisconsin. You know, you look at uh, the Badgers. Uh, sorry, you look at you know Arizona State guys, and they're just missing a ton of uh, of pieces for this game. And and when you look at Wisconsin and how much success they've had, number one rushing defense in the country. Uh, Rashad White is out. Uh, Chip Tranium, he transferred out to uh, to Ohio State. Their top two corners are out. Their top linebacker is out. Two of their offensive linemen are out uh, for. Uh, for Arizona State. So I, I understand the move. We talked about it. I liked it under a touchdown there. Uh, I know Wisconsin's not the sexiest offense, but, you know, an interesting nugget there. Braylon Allen, the uh, the 17-year-old f- uh, freshman running back for Wisconsin. If he goes over 100 yards, Wisconsin's winning. They're 7-0 and this year when he goes over 100 yards. They're just 1-4 and when he goes under 100 yards. Uh, remember, he didn't really get into the fold until about middle of the season when they got things going. The biggest question for me, if you're going to back Wisconsin, is can Graham Mertz stay away from making that big mistake. So I think ultimately, if you could play a team total, uh, I'd just be surprised if Arizona State is really able to put up 
uh, many points at all. So uh, I think it's going to be a struggle for the Sun Devils to score some points tonight against that Wisconsin defense. Boilers cash in, so it is now 23-21 in favor of Maybe they should have been playing their second stringers all year here because now they can actually (laughs) run the ball a little bit, which they hadn't been able to run the ball for 15 years in West Lafayette, but it is 23-21 extra point good, so Purdue going to go to the locker room with the lead. All right, uh, Tim, before we get you out of here, what are you doing at Circuit, dude? I I thought you were on at uh, 7 o'clock at night. I'm filling in for Stormy. I'm doing uh, My Guys in the Desert coming up next. So uh, hang out and, and chill with me. Yes. I'll be in for Stormy. Indeed. Tim Murray, host of the night, Cap Man of Many Hats, and host of My Guys in the Desert later today. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Good luck tonight. All right. See you guys. Yep, you got it. Again, Tim Murray. All right. Well, we'll keep track of this. 347 total yards for Purdue in the first half. And that uh, high-paced Tennessee offense, it has led to, over the last few drives, Wes, a fumble, a punt on a three and out, a turnover on downs, another punt. So uh, got to get it in gear if you're the balls here. You get the ball back. You 19 seconds to work with. Absolutely. 23 to 21, by the way, Purdue looks like they're covering at plus five and a half over 34 on the total. All right. That does it for us tomorrow. Football Friday for, on the network. But, of course, here on this show, humans will be back from holiday. We'll discuss everything in the NFL here on The Edge. My guys in the desert coming up next. Holiday. That's fair. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.